Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. Can we just lift our hearts to him? Just take another moment here too. And let's, can we just lift our hearts to him for a moment? Thank him. Because he is so good to us. He is so good. Amen. Thank you, worship team. And it is, it is a great to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And we are so, uh, we are glad that each and every one of you are here. Good to have Easton's friends with us here. Joe, good to have you with us. And all of the rest of you. Amen. Really and truly, we're just a group of people that love the Lord, and uh, amen, because he has done so much for us. Praise God. All right, we're going to call your attention to the book of John, chapter 3, and then 1 John, chapter 3 also. would like you to remember, if you would please, remember Sarah Gillen. She had, uh, apparently she was cooking something on an outside grill and 
she got burnt a little bit on her face and stuff, so do remember to pray for her if you would. And also Donna and her husband Vic, you would remember to pray for them. All right, here we go. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse number 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Wow. Probably y'all probably never heard of that scripture before, have you? And then if you would, 1 John 3 and verse number 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And I'd like to preach to you this morning on this thought simply. This is the message. This is the message. And... uh, going to ask you one more time if you would lift your heart to the Lord and I am going to ask Brother McCune if he would lead us in prayer and what for amen whatever needs you have this morning I am absolutely confident that the Lord can and he will meet you here today and he will take care of whatever needs you have in your life but here's the deal you got to believe him. Amen. You got to believe him. Brother McCune, if you would be so kind, please. Lord and Savior, so thank you today for your presence. Thank the Lord for the opportunity to be in this house with you, Lord. And now I ask you to mind the anointed messenger and word to our hearts, every mind, every heart, every life that we can in your transforming shape. Lord, we are truly in the days when we need you more than ever. So I ask that you would bless us. Praise God. All right. You may be seated. There was a time in my life when I did not have a message. Right. I didn't know what was going on really in life. I did not know who God was. And uh, even though we uh, went around and we were proclaiming peace and love, but had no clue, really, had no, didn't have a message. With all Lee, thank you for that lesson this morning. And we do have a message. We have a message this morning. The church has a message. Do you have a message this morning? You do. You know what that message is? It is love and it is life. It is love and it is life. Not only everything that deals with life, we promote, we proclaim that it is a good thing. Amen. But more than that, more than life in this world. How many of you love to live? Sure. Man, I love life, right? I do. Except when I don't like it. Like when I, you know, when you're sick. I mean, you know, it's like, but there is, there is a message that 
God wants to bring and he did bring and he continues to bring through you and I. That is his message that he loves you. He loves you so much that he wants to spend eternity with you. <laughs> now, how many of you want to look at your neighbor and how many of you say, you know, I would like to spend eternity. No, on second thought, maybe not. That's a long time. But the Lord loves you so much that he of equal value, he says, I don't care what color you are. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what, uh, what if you're male or female. He says, I want you to know that I love you so much that I would like to spend all of eternity with you in a place that I am, have gone. He said he was going, but now he's gone, all right? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That's not the place that we currently live in, okay? That's not a place that's filled with sickness and death and destruction and men trying to blow each other up. Hello. Wow, what a fun time. Let's, yeah, I, I'm convinced that when God created Adam and Eve, that he did it from a heart of love from the beginning. He loved them. He loved them. And part of that love, we know, it encompasses a whole lot of different things. Freedom of choice, your love for him versus love for evil, you know, going into temptation and giving in. But he created them from a heart of love from the very beginning. Did you know he created them so they wouldn't die in the beginning? Imagine that. Did you know he created them in the beginning in a perfect world? Perfect. There was no death. There was no robbery, no thievery. There was none of that going on in the world. But lo and behold, mankind let evil out of the box. And uh, wow, with, you know, here's the world that we can create. Haven't we done a good job? I am so thankful that God is working on a new world. That's right. He working on a new home. A new home. Love and life. Wow. Two very powerful things. In fact, Jesus said this. He told them, they were asking him, they said, Lord, well, what is a great commandment? Jesus said, well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord. Love the Lord. That's a great, to love the Lord. You know who his name is? That's right. His name is Jesus. He says, well, the greatest thing that you can do in life is to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength. With all. He says, that's the best that you can do in life. Wow. He says, and then the second bestest thing that you can do is you can love Cooper or, you know, or, or Mason. Well, yeah, okay. He says, 
The second best thing that you can do in life is to love one another. Wow. Life is so difficult sometimes. Amen. He said, because the whole law, the entire word of God, in other words, the law and the prophets, they depend on these two things. In other words, he was saying that you can't live for me according to my laws and my guidelines unless you love me. And you certainly can't treat your brother or your sister the way that I have treated you unless you love me. Amen. And when I think about the love Jesus has for me, that he wants to spend eternity with me, I'm thinking, are you sure? <laughs> are you are you sure you want to spend eternity with Sister Bates? I mean, come on. She don't mind if I pick on her. But you understand? He loves you that much that he wants to spend. Now, eternity is a long time, folks. Check the time clock. Yeah, it's a long time. The book of 1 John has the word Love or variations of love, such as loved, loving, or loves, a total of 46 times. Now, you know, the book of 1 John, it's a huge volume. It's hard to read it in a year. It has love 46 times. In fact, in chapter number 4, verses 7 through 21, Love is it contained in those verses 28 times. I think this guy's got a problem. 28 times in verses 7 through 21. Then in the Gospel of John, we find that he writes and he records love 56 times, which one writer that I read says, that's more than the other Gospels combined. I think John's got this thing in his mind that he wants to get across to people. And that is, I want you to know, folks, that, that God loves you. Amen. Let me quote a few comments in regards to John's gospel that's found in the, uh, in the history of the Christian church by a guy named Philip Schaap. He says, it is the gospel of love. He says, the fourth gospel is the gospel of gospels. It is the holy of holies of the New Testament. I agree with that. It's pretty strong, but he, uh, whew, he writes some stuff in that first chapter that pretty much sets the stage for you to go, wow. It has been praised as the unique, tender, genuine gospel written by the hand of an angel, as the heart of Christ, as God's love letter to the church and to the world. Back in the day in the Greek, there are four uh, variations of the word love. Okay, There's philia means friendship. How many of you got a friend? How many of you, you ever, yeah, yeah, we love our friends, right? Yeah, well, every once in a while, you know, we'll step out and say, yeah, man, I love you, man. 
You know, we don't really mean it, but we just say it, you know. I mean, it's just a casual thing. And then there is the eros, which is the romantic love. Okay, well, we won't go into that, all right? But it's there. And then there's one called the storge. And that is a love as it pertains to a family, as the love between a parent and their child. How many of you love your kids? Happy birthday, Autumn. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Happy birthday, Sam. I don't see Sam. But it's the, it is the love. Brother Jacob, you like them girls? You're hoping to get a boy here one of these days, but Sister Olga, you like your boys. If you don't, I'll take them. But that's another. It's a, it's a level of love that goes beyond friendship. Okay, It goes beyond the romantic love. And it is that love that a child and a parent have. You don't mess with mama's kids, all right? I'm just saying. Don't mess with mama bear. She will get you. And then there is agape. And that is what John really is referring to when it comes to the love of God. It is the highest form of love. It is unconditional. It cannot be measured. It is perfect. It is pure. It is the kind of love that goes beyond emotion. How many of you have ever been messed around with the emotional part of love, right? That, you know, emotions are... Agape, God's love for you goes way beyond the emotional part of love. It is perfect and is pure. It extends beyond any way to measure it. But really, the only way that is recognized is through action. And here's the key. It expects nothing in return. It expects nothing in return. You can't measure it. And so, here's John. He is called the Beloved. Imagine that. And as he and others write about his three years of being an eyewitness of the life, the death, the burial, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, we, I want to just kind of go on a journey with John as he takes us through his experience that he witnessed, <coughs> that he actually lived through during this period of time. We know John and his brother James. They are called at the same time. Both are fishermen. The Bible says they're the sons of Zebedee. I'd like to meet their dad. Later, Jesus would refer to them as the sons of thunder. Whoa, something about that. So, as brothers, how many of you got a younger brother? How many of you got an older brother? How many of you love that older brother or the younger brother? How many of you like to hang out with them? Sure. Brother Kelly, you and Brother Steve, you hang out once in a while. Even there's something about 
Can you imagine? No. Can you imagine back then the Lord God incarnate picking you and your bro out, saying, follow me. You look at one another and say, whoa, what are we getting ourselves into? But they were ready to go. No questions asked. No questions asked. Their journey together. Most agree that these chosen 12 were younger, okay, younger than 30 and even possibly late teens when Jesus called them and anointed them to be part of the 12. The Lord picked on, God, God picked on teenagers. He did. Ask Mary and Joseph. The reason why, Luke tells us Jesus was about 30 when he was baptized. John is the only writer that records, here we go, here we, let's, go let's go on a little journey with, with John. His gospel is different than the rest. John is the only writer that records the first miracle. First miracle. Both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Wow. He records it. There was something about it. He was a witness to the very consummation, the act of coming together in love. Like brother and sister Garrett, you know. They were there the recent newlyweds, so we'll pick up. They were there. John says, I cannot write. He says, I got to write this and let you know. Because something extraordinary happened there. The Bible says that his mother comes to him and says, Lord, we're out of wine. The Lord says, hey, it's up to me. Don't bug me. My hour's not yet come. But she says, whatever, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. I don't think that message has changed today. Whatsoever. I think the message is the same today. Whatsoever he saith to do, I think we ought to just do it. And he goes on. He says, we know the story. They changed the water into wine. But he goes on and say, he says, this is where he began his miracles and he began to manifest his glory and the disciples first believed. Thank you, John. I like, how many of you remember when you first believed? Sure. John is the only one, Brother Ali, that records the conversation with Nicodemus. He's the only one. He said, Nicodemus, you must, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you got to be born both of the water and of the Spirit. John says, I'm going to write this because I think that it may be important for somebody sitting out in that crowd. You must be born again. This is the message. The message is that you can be born again. Again. That's it. Come on. 
hasn't changed. Thank you, John. I don't know why Luke didn't bring it out or Matthew or Mark, but thank you, John. And huh, Brother Ali was kind of halfway preaching my message. He's the only one that records the conversation with the woman at the well. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. Why? Well, because my love, the love I have for the lost, has to be taught by action. You don't want to go to Samaria because you're a Jew. You don't want to associate yourself with the person that I'm about ready to, to reveal my identity to. I must needs. You know why? Because you were a Samaritan. <laughs> That's right. You was a no good. I know some of you, second, third generation, you don't think, you know, you think you were pretty good. No, you were a no good. Just saying, all right? You may look the part, but you were still born into this thing called sin. Sorry. <laughs> I know, parents, we think we got to, we, we, you know, not my kids. We gave birth to good kids. Well, <laughs> You may think they're good, but they're not that good. Jesus said, I must need to go through Samaria. Why, Lord? Well, <laughs> you know, there is this lady that I would really like to introduce myself to. She'd been married five times. She's shacking up with the sixth. Whoa. Now, church people now. We ain't going to be associating with people like that. I must needs go through Samaria. Thank you, John, for recording that as a reminder of where I come from. Thank you, John, for writing that little tidbit down there. Because we know the story. Jesus says, give me the drink. Whoa. You want me, a Samaritan woman, to give you, a prophet, something to drink? Jesus said, if you only knew. He says, if you only knew who it is you were talking to, you would be asking me for a drink of living water, everlasting life. And... The conversation goes on. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, the anointed one. And when he comes, she says, when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, I am him. I'm, I'm he. I am him. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that is talking to you. I'm that guy. Wow. What a story. And how is it that John is the only one that wrote, writes about the raising of Lazarus from the dead? I don't know, but he's the one. Listen carefully, though. 
John eleven five. 5, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister Mary, and Lazarus. He loved this. This was a family. These were siblings. He loved them, the Bible says. After four days, he shows up. Funerals already happened. He's dead. He's buried. His stones rolled in front of the grave. And the conversation goes something like this. If only you had been here. Jesus said, your brother shall rise again. Martha replies, I know, Lord, that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, he that believes in me shall never die. That is the message. He is the resurrection. He one day will roll away that, that dirty grave covering that it has covered some of our loved ones that are laying there underground. The message is one day when the last trump sounds that the dead in Christ shall rise they shall rise and they will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the clouds. And so shall they and then we which are alive, Brother Colton, those that are of the rapture generation, which might be some of you. It might be me. That's the message. He's the resurrection. Jesus standing in front of that tomb where Lazarus land. Jesus saw Mary Listen to this. Why? He's the only one that records this. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, it says he groaned in the spirit. He was troubled. He says, where have you laid him? Lord, come and see. Showed a scripture in the Bible, hadn't it? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. We read that. We don't get it. Really. He can be so impacted by the things that we, that we carry, that are of a, such a, a tragedy in our lives. Sometimes we think that he is afar off. No, he cares. John wrote about it. He said, Lazarus, come forth. We know what happened. He that was dead came forth. We know that John, along with Peter and James, was part of the inner circle. They were the only three that witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus. Wow, how would you like to have been there? His appearance changed dramatically in their presence. His face shone with heavenly glory, clean and bright like the sun. His clothing became white as light. Peter, James, and John thought they were just going for a hike. They didn't know what was going to go on up there. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. I'm here to remind you that this was an eyewitness of the reality of Jesus Christ on earth and what he saw. And he said, church, I want you to understand the main thing is the main thing. You need to love this one called Jesus with everything that is within you. And you need to love your church. You need to love the lost. Wow. Only three of them were there. 
Listen carefully though. When they saw that, when they heard the voice out of the cloud, when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces terrified. Terrified. You know what happens? Listen, watch this now. You may not have read this part. The Bible says they were terrified. They fell on their faces. They didn't know what they'd gotten into, right? But the Bible says Jesus came and touched them and said, get up and be not afraid. He is, John wants to remind us, there are going to come things in our lives we don't understand why's. We don't understand the reasons why. There are things in our lives that sometimes they make us, you know, they're, they're, the world today sometimes, it gets me and I say, oh, Lord, I need some help. You know what it, the help is? The help is the assurance that even though not in bodily form, but the Holy Ghost will reach out and will touch you and will help you understand and will help you through the situation that you are in. He touched. Can you imagine what that feels like? I can't. He said, be not afraid. How many times did he say, be not afraid? Well, in the storm, be of good cheer, be not afraid. Easy for you to say. You're not in the storm. You're out for a casual walk. Right? The raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. Wow, he was there. Why trouble the master? Why trouble the master? We got to move on quickly here, but you know that has that verse has come to me so many times when everything everything seems to be done. But I come back, brother Jack, to that scripture. Why trouble the master? It is a dead thing. Why trouble him? Because he's got the power to change my situation. He's got the power to change your situation. He's got to change. He has the power to change your circumstance. He's got the power to, to take that thing that you thought that you think is dead. He's got the power just to speak life right into it. Why trouble the master? Because sometimes I'm in trouble. John tells us during the Last Supper, Jesus tells them that one of them would betray him. One of the disciples, listen carefully, whom Jesus loved, was leaning against on Jesus' chest. So Simon Peter motioned to him, Hey, John! We know it was John. He quietly asked him to ask Jesus who it was. A couple of things here. Now, get this. A couple of things here that I just find so incredible. There was something about the relationship between John and the Lord. See, you have to be sitting next to a person in order to lean over and ask them a question. You have to be, you can't be sitting in the back row and, unless you got a really long neck. 
But here's the other thing. And we don't, you understand, is he, as I like to say, he got so close to the Lord that he heard his heart beat. And here's the other thing that goes along with that little story. Jesus taught his disciples that when attending a dinner, they should choose a seat at the end of the table. And then if the master of ceremony chose, he could ask you to move up closer. I like to I use my imagination. They walk in the room and the Lord says, hey, John, I want you right here. Whoa. Right here next to you. Well. Next to Judas, too, but yeah. No, Judas was probably on the other side. But you understand? So there is something special. John sees Jesus go around the room washing their feet. He then feels, listen, he then, he felt, he felt the touch of the master's hands when he was on top of the mountain. And then he felt the touch of the master's hands stooping, probably praying for him as he was washing his feet. Wow. He would go on, he would say, to be great in my kingdom is to serve others. That's the message. If you want to be great, if you want to be something in life, you've got to serve other people. That's the way it is. You got to serve people. You got to be there. You got to be their servant. John is invited with Peter and James to join Jesus for prayer in Gethsemane. Only three of them. Did he hear? My will, not my will, but thy will be done. Did he hear that? Was he close enough? We know the Bible says Jesus went a little further, but he was there. Did he hear the prayer of the master in the garden? Did it have an impact in his life? I'm convinced that it did. How could it not if you heard him pray that night? And we know he went into the palace during the, uh, during the court hearings. And then John 19, 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. So Jesus, seeing his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing near, standing near. The only one we get, we're standing near the cross. To his mom, he says, Mom, here's your son. He said to the disciple, John, look, here is your mother. Protect and provide for her. From that hour, the Bible says that disciple took her into his own home. How close was John to the cross? What we do know is that when the woman brought news that Jesus' tomb was empty, Peter and John, get this, Peter and John, they ran to check it out. We're told that John outran Peter. We're told that the 
that John, the one that ran Peter, was the first apostle to believe. It's there. John was one of the ten whom Jesus first appeared to. He was there again the second time when Thomas was there. We know he is one of the disciples that went fishing with Peter. He caught, they caught nothing, but it was John who recognized the voice of the master coming from the shore. Are you with me? We can be pretty certain it was there as they stood looking up as Jesus was taken up in the clouds. He was there. He was there and he witnessed and the angels that stood there, John was there. As the angel said, ye men of Galilee, why stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, whom you see taken away, he is going to come back in the clouds. This is the message. The same Jesus that you saw go, that you lived with, that you felt his physical presence for three years, he's coming back. We know John was there at the birthday of the church. The year was 33 AD, somewhere there. We know John was with Peter in Acts, the third chapter. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I do have, give I unto thee. You that have a need, I'm convinced the name of Jesus will raise you up. It can accomplish anything that you need in your life. He was there. John is referred to later on as a pillar in the Jerusalem church during the very heated debate with the council that made the very important decision not to require the Gentile Christians to be circumcised. Guess what? That was 15 years after the birth of the church. The Bible says John was a pillar in the church of Jerusalem. They had now been living for, in the church age for 15 years. John was there. We know he went through the tragedy of losing his brother James. James being the first apostle to be martyred. Are you with me? He was alive during the 60s as the books of the New Testament were written. In other words, for 30 years... They went around preaching and teaching what? The eyewitness account of what they had literally experienced in those three years. They taught it. They preached it. It would be 30 years later that the books would begin to be written. Some believe it would be around 68 that John would be exiled to Patmos. I, John, who also am your brother in revelation and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patient of Jesus Christ, was in the isle called Patmos 
for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You stand firm for the Lord. The Bible does say that you will receive a hundredfold with persecution. That's what it says. God's going to bless you, but it comes with a price sometimes. John, thank you for writing the story and living the story and being the example that I'm going to stand for the testimony and for the Word of God. There's nothing really written yet other than his eyewitness account and his real life experience. That's why your testimony is so powerful. We're going to have a couple of testimonies, Lord willing, Wednesday. They are powerful. That's the only thing that you have to try to persuade others is your living experience that you have with your testimony reliving and telling what God has done for you in your life. Bible scholars estimate the time of Revelation as he wrote that book about two years before the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 A.D. After his release from exile, he would ultimately end up as the overseer of the church in Ephesus. Most agree on that. It is thought this would be the place he would write the last gospel. His was the last one. And then John uh, uh, 1, 1, 2, and 3. Anywhere, listen to this, between the years of 85 and 95. Writer says John, the book, the Gospel of John was written from the church in Ephesus while Jerusalem lay in ruins. You see, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70. They figure that John's Gospel and the book 1, 2, 3 John were written somewhere around 80 to 85. You, you may not get that. That is a very powerful thing to live through if you were a Jewish person. According to the majority of Bible scholars, John lived at the age of 98 to 100. Jerome writes, John died at the age of 100, which would be, get this, 68 years after Calvary. He was reliving and he was writing the most, possibly the most important book of the entire, they call it the holiest of holies of the New Testament. He was sitting down and he was writing one last breath. He was saying, listen, he outlived everybody in his generation. He was the last link of that first century apostolic church the apostolic he was it he wrote he says I want you to know church it's been a long time since I had a visit with the Lord 60 years Paul's gone Peter's gone his brother James is gone Matthew's gone Luke's gone 
They're all gone. He's the last one. <laughs> and he begins, he, he finalizes his life with writing those books. Why? Because he wants you and I to realize through it all, he says, after everything's said and everything is done, I want you to know this, that the most important thing that you need to understand is that God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son so that you could live not only in just in this life, but that he wants you to live with him for eternity. I want, he said, you've got to get a hold of this. In fact, he includes in his gospel in chapter number 13, after, after he felt, listen to me, after he felt the master stooping over him. You understand, is he, he knew, he, he knows. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the He knew, he knew. And here, the Master, he was, he was touching his feet and washing his feet. And then after he got through, listen to what he says. John records in 1334, after Jesus washes the feet of the apostles, Jesus said this. He said, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, that you love one another, a new commandment. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, love your name. No, no, no. I'm going to, I'm upping it here a little bit here, John. You need to get this. You're watching as a, you are watching me wash Judas's feet. Okay? Watch what I'm doing. He is washing the betrayer's feet, giving him an opportunity to repent. But Jesus closed it. He's, maybe, he's touching, maybe he's touching the feet and he's whispering this in to John's life. I don't know, but here he is. I'm convinced that he was praying for him as he was washing his feet. I'm convinced he was praying for Peter as he was washing his feet. And he says, he said, John, here's a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love produces love. The Bible says God is love. Love produces love. As you stand with us. More than likely, his writing, one, two, three, John, now he's writing. He's writing because it's been, it's been 60 years that the church has been into exi in existence. That's a long time. How many of you are 60 year old? I'm not raising my hand. How many of you remember? Okay, some of you. How, you. how many of you remember 20 years ago? Okay. Okay. 60 years had passed. And now, because the books were just starting 
to kind of get circulated. Okay? And false teachers had entered into the teaching of the church after 60 years. And John writes one, two, three, John, he writes to him and he says, listen, he says, you got to remember, he says, you got to remember the important stuff is that he, Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will love me back. If you love me, you will love your brother. If you love me, you will forgive your brother. This is the message. Ah, it's the message with a promise. 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise that He has promised us, even eternal life. But here's the message with a promise. Acts 2.38-39, we're told in the book of Jude, contend for the faith, contend for the faith, contend for the faith, contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Contend for it. His name is glorious. His name is the only name given whereby I can be saved. Here's the message with a promise. What must I do to be saved on the birthday of the church? As the apostles had received the gift of the Holy Ghost in 120, and the people came from all areas of Jerusalem, all parts of the world. Peter says, here's the message after he preached to him, Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. He says, you need to repent of your sins. He says, you need to repent and you need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. In the name Oh, he doesn't stop there, does he? For the promise. For the promise. It's a message with a promise. The message is you have to repent. You have to be born again. You have to accept Jesus Christ as the only way, truth, and life. He is the only way that... He's the door. He's, he's the chief shepherd. He's everything. He's it. He's the great I Am. Peter says, you gotta do, you gotta repent. You got to, you got to, I know, but I'm cool, you know? I'm cool. No, you gotta repent. You're not that cool, okay? You gotta repent. What does that mean? That means that you got to accept the idea that you really are a bum. Okay? And I say that respectfully, you get what I'm saying. That you are born into this saying called sin. And you need to get rid of it. The only way that happens is through the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. The only way that takes place is repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise, for the promise, for the promise is to you. Oh, and it's to my children too? Yeah. And it is to all of those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. There's a call coming to you today. He's ringing your doorbell today. He's got a message for you today. 
The message is He loves you. He wants to save you. He already accomplished and He proved it through His actions. You say you love the Lord. The Bible says that the way you show that love is that you obey His commandments. What does that mean? It means that you got to express your love through obedience to the Word of God and the plan of salvation. you got to get on the ark. We're going to open up here this morning. We're going to invite you to come to the front. And we pray that we will pray with you and for you and help you in any way that you need help. But most of all, it is going to be your act of faith that brings you to a place where you can raise your hands. You can say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving me. And I need you today. Here's how I need you, Lord. If you're here this morning, you have a need, we open the altar right now and we ask you to come. We will pray with you and for you. And if you need special prayer, we will anoint you with oil and we will pray with you if you'll come right down here to the very front. How about it this morning? Are you thankful for what he's done in your life? Sure. Why don't we come and let's lift our hearts to him. If you have children here this morning, surely you want to give thanks to God. You want to say, Lord, thank you for my children that are in the house of God this morning. Come on, don't be, don't be bashful. Don't be bashful. Come on. Come on. This is a place where we just willingly, we move a step closer is what we're doing when we come to the altar. We're just moving a couple of seats forward. He's got a special seat up here and he says, he says, I want you up here today. There you go. Come on. Hallelujah. That's it. Let's love him. Let's praise him. Let's lift our hearts to him this morning. Amen. 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 That's it. Thank you, Lord. That's it. That's it. Come on. Come on. That's it. Hallelujah. Oh, that's it. Come on. Come on, that's it. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it, old God. That's it. That's it, Christy. That's it. That's it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. That's it, Joe. That's it, Joe. Come on, that's it. Come on. Take me to your place, Lord. Come on, take me to the place. Come on. That's it, Christy. That's it. That's it. Come on.